Welcome to the 223rd episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are an overview of Patrick's weekend predictions and our weekly look at Major League Baseball. Let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. We will start in Major League Baseball action, where Patrick went 2-2 two and two with his weekend series predictions. And in the Women's World Cup, Patrick went 1-1 one and one with those predictions, which brings him to a 3-3 three and three combined record this weekend. That brings him to a 772 and 517 overall record. That is a 59.9% winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts on your weekend predictions? I will say I'm happy to be 7-7 seven and seven in the last few weeks after some rough weeks before in the MLB um, and less Women's World Cup games because it's the end of the tournament, and we'll talk about that in a second. Um, but I will say I'm hoping those numbers go back up and that I can at least stay at 500 a little bit above with MLB. And then next week we will have college football predictions, which uh, if you can't tell that we're amped for that by the frequency of podcasts we've released that are only college football despite there not being a game played yet, um, I already have my predictions done for week zero. So uh, that is that is ready to go for Thursday. It's been ready to go. I did some extra digging and made sure that my original preseason predictions from my all-season long ones were good enough. And um, interestingly, I have I think I have one underdog the whole weekend, which is, I mean, I guess that kind of makes sense. Um, but the only underdog is that UTEP is favored by one, and I don't have, and I have them winning. So we'll, we'll, we'll get to those next week, though, and talk about that. But um, we're excited for college football. But in the meantime, we still have MLB action, although I'm not going to lie. Only one of these series really had a lot of intrigue in it. Um, it was the Braves and the Giants. The Braves took two of three from the Giants, which is surprising that that series was intriguing. But really, it was only intriguing because the Braves have not been playing so well recently. So there was a chance that the Giants, well, playing so well by their standards, which means that they took three or four from the Mets and swept the Yankees. But to for them to have close games against some of those teams... Uh, and only take three or four from the Mets. And also they did split with the Pirates before and lose the last series of the Cubs before that. So technically for them, it's below their standards. Um, but they did get to 80 wins before any other team by winning on Saturday. That was after they had won four to nothing on Friday in a Spencer Strider start where he only gave up one hit and struck out 10. Uh, trying to add his name back in the Cy Young conversation with that one. If he's not at least in the conversation, he's definitely one of the top ones, but we'll see if he can get over that ERA uh, that he has, although his lead in strikeouts is ridiculous. Um, but then on Saturday, it was actually a very interesting game. The Giants took the lead in the first inning. They were up one to nothing. They're up two to nothing by the end of the by the middle of the second. The Braves got two in the bottom of the second to make it two to two. The Giants got two in the fourth, uh, and the Braves once again responded to make it four to four. And then the Giants scored again in the sixth inning, and you thought that maybe that answer was enough um, because the top of the Braves order actually didn't do anything for the next two innings, and you thought maybe that was their opportunity, you know, bottom of the order coming up. But the fact of the matter is the bottom of the Braves order has, you know, series MVPs and LCS MVP Eddie Rosario, who basically single-handedly beat the Dodgers in probably the best individual series I've ever seen. Um, And, of course, he came up in the clutch, uh, Marcelo Zuna got a hit. He was three for four in this game. And then Rosario hit a two-run home run at 441 feet. Um, and that was with them down five to four, and that made it six to five. And Rysel Iglesias came in, and he closed down the game. And that meant that the Giants kind of got sucker punched there and had already lost the series. 
Although they came back on Sunday and they played a very, very good game. Um, they pitched well in this game despite it being kind of a thrown-together bullpen game. They had six pitchers used in this game. Camilo Duvall went one and two-thirds innings to lock down the save, did not give up a hit, struck out three, um, although he did walk one, but that really isn't a concern when, you know, he's he's a little bit wild with spray pattern, but people still swing at it anyway. Um, and then Atlanta kind of choked the game away. They put uh, Kirby Yates in the game in the eighth, in the top of the ninth inning, excuse me, um, and he gave up two walks and also a hit before that, I believe, and then uh, Colin McHugh came in, or sorry, no, Kirby Yates walked in the game, the game-winning run on a bases-loaded walk uh, after Michael Tonkin, I believe, had been in the game, and then Yates came in to replace him. So, not really the the best played game by Atlanta, but I guess Rysel might not have been um, up because I think he had also pitched. He might have pitched on Friday as well, and you know, when you have you you have a guy who's pitched two, to, yeah, he he locked down the Friday game, so he had pitched two games in a row, wasn't going to pitch Sunday, um, and as a result, the Giants were able to come away with that one. Uh, as a bases-loaded walk propelled them to the win. But honestly, the reason why I took so much time on this series is because the Blue Jays took two or three from the Reds, but the Reds, they got game one, one to nothing. There was literally nothing going on in this game. Uh, There were three hits combined, sorry, three hits from both teams going into the ninth inning, and then Christian Encarnacion Strand hit a solo home run, and that was the end of the game. So it was maybe the least exciting game you could expect from these two teams, especially very good hitting teams. Um, and then on Saturday, the Blue Jays, they played a good game uh, as well. But I mean, honestly, all the action in all the action in the first two games of the series happened in two innings. Both teams scored four, both teams scored three runs in the fourth inning on Saturday. Uh, and then a Davis Schneider solo home run in the fifth inning was the thing that propelled Toronto to the win uh, four to three on Saturday. There was some drama at the end of this game, but Sunday was drama free. The Blue Jays got out to a quick five-run lead on Hunter Green, who was making his return from the IL. He went three innings but gave up 10 hits and eight earned runs. Um, he was down five to nothing in the second. Like I said, Cincinnati got two runs back. And then the Blue Jays made it nine to two by the end of the fourth, and that obviously kind of signals the end of the game. So the Blue Jays able to walk away with that series. Uh, then you have the Brewers who swept the Rangers. Now, this one was a surprising one, something that the Brewers needed to do after not playing so well against the Dodgers and getting swept in L.A., they respond by coming back and playing the second-best team in the AL after playing the second-best team in the NL, and they come back with a sweep. They won the Friday game 9-8, to they won the Saturday game 6-1, to and the Sunday game 6-2, to so really not interesting games there uh, at all, um, as the Rangers are not very good at mounting comebacks. I think they only have one win when trailing after the 7th this year and zero when trailing after the 8th, so... Despite their very potent offense, they're not, they've not been a very good uh, comeback team, and that played out this weekend. And then the Mariners swept the Astros. I, I was really considering picking the Mariners here, um, but I ended up picking the Astros just because I thought they had better pitching matchups based on who they had starting, um, but that did not play out at all, and the Mariners ended up winning the series in Houston uh, by winning all three games. They won 7-6 to six on Sunday. Uh, to close out the sweep after winning 10 to three on Saturday and on Friday they won two to nothing. So utter dominance from the Mariners in the series honestly and we'll talk about how later uh, they've been playing really really well under the radar and they are actually making noise in the division race, not even just the wild card race. Um, and then the women's World Cup predictions. I'm not gonna spend too much time on one of these games because look, Sweden beat Australia two to nothing. It was the third place game. Um, I picked Australia because I thought that the hometown country, the host country, 
uh, well, I guess there were two hosts, but still, one of the host countries um, would come out and play with the more, with more intensity with, you know, the third place game on the line. It's hard to tell sometimes how much motivation is there um, for certain nations once they've gotten knocked to the third place game. I thought there might be a chance that, I think I knew that Sweden was the better team on paper, but I just thought that motivation-wise, claiming third place in front of your home crowd has a little more motivation involved in it, especially when Australia was fighting for their best finish of all time after they had not reached a semifinals previously. Whereas Sweden, they had beat the U.S. this tournament. They had, you know, slayed the dragon, per se. Um, and they have had many, many third-place finishes, many uh, runner-ups in their history, but have never won one. So you thought that maybe, or at least I thought, that motivation-wise, Australia had more just saying, we're playing in front of our home country, we're trying to finish this on a high note, whereas Sweden is kind of, here we go again, another third-place finish, we had the golden opportunity, we beat the U.S., and yet still we can't win it. So I thought they'd kind of lose their momentum, but they didn't. Uh, they won 2 to nothing. a really good win from Sweden, a really good tournament from Sweden. Um, but in the end, it was the Spaniards who took it home, beating England one to nothing. Surprising to know that that was uh, an opportunity for both teams, actually all four of the teams that were in the semifinals, for their first championships ever uh, in the Women's World Cup. But especially interesting to know when you consider Spain and England's rich history in soccer overall. Um, but unfortunately for England, it is once again not coming home, as they always sing about, but what never happens. Um, hate to say it, but England, you know, we're coming along football season uh, England, this type of football, reminds me a lot of Texas football. Uh, it's always supposed to be that they're reclaiming their spot in their championship, and it just never happens. I mean, they can get very close, they can get to the doorstep, but they will never be inside of the house, and they need to do some other things when they get inside of the house anyway, but they, they never even get into the door of the house, so they're always left on the doorstep, and that continues to be the case, even in the Women's World Cup, Spain uh, claiming their first World Cup with England having the chance, and honestly... Playing really well throughout the tournament, but not when it mattered the most. Spain able to come up with that victory, and it should tell you why it was so high on Japan originally, because Japan beat Spain 4 to nothing in the group stage. And of course, Spain here wins it all after Japan bowed out to Sweden, but that team really was special at the beginning of the tournament. Unfortunately for them, though, they fell out of form, and Spain instead took the opportunity, not having to play the Japanese again. Uh, in the final, as many people thought might happen in a rematch, but instead, beating England one to nothing. I will not say that I have watched that match because there was preseason football on today, there was a lot of MLB action on today, and that game happened at 3 in the morning. I recorded it, and I saw the score accidentally, and I said, now that I know the score, not really worth watching. So I decided not to watch it instead, but I was ready to watch it uh, with it recorded. I just will not stay up till 3 a.m. unless it's the U.S., so not really fair there. Uh, but it was still a great tournament to watch, really fun to watch, and you know what? Um, I like the, I like all of those tournaments that come around every four years. They're really, really entertaining because you know how much is on the line and you know how long they have to wait. It's not like when LeBron gets bounced from the playoffs and you can ask him in the press conference right after, is he coming back? Because he's only forecasting about three, four months. When you're talking to these players, they're waiting two, three years to know how, what kind of health status they might be in in terms of if they're going to retire, hanging up, whatever it happens to be. So it's interesting. It's always interesting to watch these tournaments because you just know how much is on the line. Women's World Cup, World Cup, Olympics, whatever it happens to be. Love watching these. Even the Euros, same thing. Love watching these tournaments. Um, but it's always unfortunate when they come to an end. But again, great Women's World Cup. Um, looking forward to the next one, although that's a long way from now. 
Okay, well, Patrick's predictions for next weekend will be posted on our website on Thursday. There will not be Women's World Cup predictions, but there may be some college football for the first there time are. this year. I was just given a little taste. Even though I already started talking about who I had picked earlier. but That's, that's... true. All right, well, uh, let's go away from predictions and turn our attention to Major League Baseball with our weekly review of MLB starting, as always, in the American League East. I think it's time to start talking about playoffs with a lot of these teams and how they stack up. Look, the Orioles, they are in first. They're three games ahead of Tampa Bay, uh, according to whatever figure ESPN uses, because they have a nice little handy screenshot of the standings that we use. Uh, Their playoff chances are at 98.6%. Honestly, don't see why they're not higher, I guess, technically because they still have a chance to lose the division. Um, But the Rays are two games back of them, or sorry, three games back of them uh, at 75 and 51. But before I go on to the Rays, I do have to say one thing about the Orioles. I've been watching this team a lot, and a lot of their production comes from rookies and and really young players in their rotation as well. None of them are playoff tested. It's going to be interesting to see if the Orioles, let's just throw it out there, um, maybe they get matched up with the Twins. Say say the Rangers somehow end the year with a better record, even though that's looking increasingly unlikely as the Orioles are with the best record and five games ahead of the Rangers. But if that were to happen, you look at a roster like the Twins, and you know they're not very good, honestly, the Twins on the surface, but the Twins give me kind of that feeling of a team that could be like the 2019 Washington Nationals, where they have a lot of veteran presence, they have really good pitching, especially um, the front of the uh, the front end of the rotation, especially when you're talking about the Twins. Um, Dallas Keuchel had a perfect game into the seventh inning today, and I know this is talking about the Twins a little bit, but I don't see how the Orioles win a matchup with a team like that that's experienced, you know, that has up and down the roster. They have Carlos Correa, who's won a World Series. They have Christian Vasquez, who's won a World Series. Um, They have a lot of guys on the Twins themselves who have been to the playoffs with the Twins. I don't, uh, you know, you have Michael A. Taylor as well, who I think actually was on Washington's team that won the World Series, if I'm not mistaken, although not quite sure about that. No, yeah, he was on that Washington team. So they have a lot of World Series experience. They have a lot of playoff experience in general. I kind of like a team like that over a team like the Orioles where every single at-bat is extra pressure, and none of those guys have felt that pressure. I'm not going to say that if the Twins and the Orioles were in a series, I would pick the Twins, but it is interesting to see what the Orioles do kind of down the stretch here because you always wonder if their master plan is not to compete this year, and they're just happy with the fact that they're in first place and having a magnificent season, and they're waiting for you know, the next few seasons to sign some veteran, better veteran presence. I I will say they do have some guys, but not really playing very often. I mean, they didn't even re-sign Trey Mancini in the offseason, so it's pretty much all rookies up and down their roster. And, you know, you have the Adam Frazier here, uh, guys like that every every once in a while in their roster, but it's a lot of young talent. So I'm wondering how they'll carry through the postseason. But for now, um, they look great. Uh, they have all season long. Their pitching staff has not necessarily always been great, but recently the starting pitching has really come through and it's been less of just kind of the offense carrying them through games. And as a result, they're able to pick up a sweep over the A's this weekend, which again, not a very challenging task, um, but they were able to do it. Um, they are seven and three in their last 10. And as I said, they've got that sweep over the A's. So they have won three in a row. Then you have the Rays. They traveled to Los Angeles. They played the Angels this weekend. Um, in the second game of that doubleheader due to the hurricane that never really ended up being a hurricane, but that did bring a lot of rain enough that no team in LA was going to play a game through that. Um, but they lost game one of that doubleheader, seven to six. They won game two of that doubleheader, 18 to four. They, uh, they, they took it to the angels in that game. They scored a touchdown in the sixth inning by 
getting uh, seven runs there, and they also had two, three safeties when in the fourth, the seventh, and the eighth, uh, scoring two point two. Two runs in all of those innings. Now I'm starting to say points instead of runs. You can tell I'm ready for football season. Um, but look, Tampa Bay, they're playing a lot of rookies right now. Um, a lot of young players in general. Uh, Curtis Mead is up in the majors. Oslavis Basabe is up in the majors. Luke Rayleigh has been up in the majors all season long. Josh Lowe, same thing. Just a lot of young players on this roster that I don't know, again, kind of like the Orioles, how it's going to hold up in the postseason, especially because their pitching staff it was great for them at the beginning of the year and when they were on that hot streak, but half of those guys are, I mean, Shane McClanahan, their ace, is getting Tommy John surgery. Drew Rasmussen has been out for a long time. I don't know if he's coming back. I believe he's not. Um, they have Tyler Glass now still. They have Aaron Savali still, which is still a pretty good one, too, at the top of their rotation. But the Rays have been really, really shaky with starting pitching recently, and I don't know if that's going to be able to carry them through the postseason, because that's really what this team is built on. And then they also have this Wander Franco situation with a bunch of off-the-field issues with him. That means that arguably the best player on their team and their shortstop, everyday shortstop, is not available. Um, and probably, I mean, there have been reports that he might never play a game ever again. So uh, that's a big-time issue for the Rays. Uh, and their roster, I don't think, can compete in the current state it is, considering injuries, considering Franco's whole situation there. So I don't... I'm I'm really starting to lose faith in the Rays if I haven't already. Um, it looks like definitely the Orioles are going to win this division. Uh, I really think that if the Rays hadn't had their start to the season that they did, this would not be a three, five game race. It would probably be more like a six or a seven games back race between the Orioles and the Rays. And maybe even the Blue Jays would be in second place instead of the Rays. Um, but speaking of the Blue Jays, they are 69 and 56 on the season. Pretty solid record. Uh, they're eight and a half back in the division. In what matters, they are five and a half back of Tampa Bay for the first wildcard spot. But now, because of a certain team that I will talk about later, Toronto is actually out of the wildcard for probably the first time in two, three months. Um, but they're out of it right now. They're in fourth. We will talk about why in a second, uh, and I will get there. But this AL wildcard race is really starting to get interesting. Two teams, three teams have taken themselves completely out of this race entirely uh, and the playoff race in general. And then there are two teams that have really, or one team really, that's elevated themselves and then one team that's kind of floating in between. But it's really a five-horse race here in the American League, whereas honestly the National League is just a complete disaster. Um, there are six teams within one game of a playoff spot uh, right now, which is crazy, or, or in a playoff spot actually already in the wild card, which is just ridiculous, and we'll talk about that later, but the Blue Jays right now on the wrong side of that race, um, and the other team that's kind of floating in between there, that's the Red Sox. They're not quite eliminated like I would say the Angels and the Yankees are, um, and we'll talk about the Yankees in a second, but 66-58, and 58, they're three games back of that mystery team in third in the wild card that I will get to later, um, and then they're two and a half back of Toronto. They could easily work their way back into the race. They're seven and three in their last 10. They have won three in a row, after sweeping the Yankees over the weekend. Um, and you know what? I'm not going to talk anymore about Boston. Let's talk about the team that swept them, or that got swept by them this weekend. The Yankees! They have lost eight in a row, as John Sterling would say. The Yankees lose! I mean, he only says that after wins, but uh, eight in a row! That's bad. One and nine in their last ten. That's also bad. It's almost as bad as the Angels, but we'll talk about that that disaster later. The Yankees are nine games out of a playoff spot and four games under 500 on August 20th. Uh, that is not something they thought they'd be saying. 
they thought they would be saying something more like, we have eight, we have four pitchers in the top 20 of Cy Young voting on August 20th, or we have four pitchers in the top five. We have Carlos Rodon, we have Frankie Montas, we have Garrett Cole, Severino has been good in the past, that we're all going to be fine. Well, if you know anything about this roster, I mean, the offense has been terrible at best, with or without Aaron Judge, because they've actually hit worse since he's come back, not because of him, but they have hit worse around him. Maybe they got a little bit too relaxed with him back, and then all of a sudden now they're all even worse. But look, the pitching staff, Domingo Ramon, he threw a perfect game earlier this year. His ERA is 4.56. Like, that is not good, especially for a guy who's thrown a perfect game. I mean, the per- he's thrown 108 innings this year, so the perfect game is nearly... It's like a twelfth of his innings is from one game where he had a perfect game against the A's, and the rest of the season he's been pretty terrible. And then if you want to really talk about terrible, Luis Severino has made 14 starts this year. He has only pitched 67 innings with a 7.98 ERA. He is easily the worst pitcher in baseball this year in terms of starting pitchers. But the problem is for the Yankees, Nestor Cortez has made 12 starts and Carlos Rodon has made six. So they need the extra pitching in their rotation and they just have to kind of throw Severino out there for the time being, unless they want to call somebody up from AAA, maybe Johnny Brito, who's made 13 starts uh, with a 5.43 ERA, so not good, but better than 7.98. Um, and Cortez has been injured all year. Rodon has had injury issues all year. He's come back recently, but he has also looked terrible. He has a 7.33 ERA. So nothing has turned out well for the Yankees. And then, you know, the one thing they have to rely on is Garrett Cole, who has a 3.03 ERA on the season. But, I mean, even he had a terrible outing this weekend. Um, as the Red Sox came out and shelled him at the beginning of the game. Four innings, six earned runs he gave up. Um, and it really, I mean, it's crazy because his ERA going into that game was 2.76. He was a, the prime Cy Young contender, but instead now he has an over three ERA and now you need to panic about him. But I mean, obviously he's Garrett Cole and Aaron Judge, honestly. I, I hate to say it, but they might be the only two players on this roster who should have an assured spot going into next season. I, I mean... They're not going to be able to move some of the contracts that they have on the books. Obviously, like Stanton cannot be dealt because that contract is ridiculous and it's long and they still have many years left on it. But if there were if there was a way to just void the contract, I wouldn't be surprised if literally every single player on this roster other than Anthony Volpe and a couple of the other rookies were on the trading block um, come the winter because nobody on this team has performed. I only talked about the pitching staff. That doesn't even get to the fact that LeMahieu and Rizzo are all hitting under 250. Stanton is under 200. Josh Donaldson has barely played, but he's also hitting 142 on the year. I mean, this team is just a disaster. Um, and they're one of the teams that at this point, you know, we have four teams in the next, well, now there's four teams in the next division that I won't talk about really for the rest of the season. The Yankees have become one of those teams as well. Uh, well, if there are four teams in the next division you won't talk about, um, that's pretty insane because the Yankees are, are closer to being the Detroit Tigers than they are the Boston Red Sox. Um, and frankly, the, the, according to ESPN, this is how bad it is for the Yankees. They say the Tigers actually have a better chance of making the playoffs than the Yankees. And I was, I mean, this is this way, is the AL Central, and that's yeah. the reason why. But I mean, look, the Yankees' 0.4% chance is all from the wild card because there's no way they can make up a 17-game differential in the division where the Tigers actually... You know, so unironically, seven and a half back in the division is much better than A, the 12 games back they are in the wild card, and B, the Yankees nine games back in the yep. wild card. And also, I mean, if you're talking about how much distance you can cover, 
I'm I would be I would be way more um, way less secure about the Twins continuing to win games than I would be about any of Toronto, oh, Houston. Like no, just the teams in the wild card, even just Houston, Toronto, and Seattle, and even Boston, honestly, because yeah. Boston has also dominated the Yankees. So, well, and so the first and it is justified that the Tigers are 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 and I think this above is the first time chances. all year that uh, we haven't been able to say that every single team in the American League East. No, there have been multiple weeks, well, but it it looks like it, it it's been. It's so, been it's been at least close for the whole year. Now it's actually not very close. Now so, now the stat is a little bit off. So now not all the teams in the American League East would be in first place in the AL Central. So let's talk about the AL Central. Well, I talked about the Twins and their playoff experience a lot, so I won't talk about their overall kind of projections as it comes to the playoffs um, yet. But they have a 95% chance to make it if you look at ESPN's playoff thing. Um, the funny part about that is that the rest of the chances of their division are 3.9 and 1.2, which if you could do the math, is 5.1%, which is the remaining chance that is left over by the 94.9 that the Twins have to make it. So that's basically telling you that the Guardians and the Tigers only can make it if they win the division. Um, funny enough, though, speaking of the Tigers, as you were talking about earlier, they are 6-4 and four in their last 10. They have won two in a row. And that means they have the best record in the last 10 games of any team in this division. They are coming off a, th- a 3 of 4 series win over the Guardians, and earlier in the week, they split a series with a two-game series with the Twins. So I'm not going to, and by the way, they, they took three or four from the Twins last week. So I'm not going to say anything about the Tigers being a potential playoff team. That 1% chance is accurate. It is a 1% chance. But the fact of the matter is, if you were giving me an opportunity right now on August 20th to say who's making the playoffs, one of these, some oracle comes down and says who's making the playoffs, the Tigers or the Yankees, I am 100% saying the Tigers are. And it's more about the Twins than it has to do with the and, and the wild card teams than it has to do with the teams themselves on paper. But look, I thought the Tigers team could, this team could be a surprise team a few years ago with all the prospect capital they had. Um they traded some of it away, made some bad deals, signed probably maybe the only free agent that you couldn't have signed to a long-term deal to have as your one shining star, which is Javi Baez. Um uh, but look, I don't think that the Tigers are going to win this division at all. They're still seven and a half back. They're not even in second place. The Guardians are in second place um, in 59 and 66. They're six back. But they, at least, I will say, do have a better chance to make the playoffs than the Yankees, which makes no sense based on how these teams have been in the past. But overall, the Guardians and the Tigers, I mean, I'm just not impressed by either of these teams. I don't think they have a chance um, to get really above the Twins unless the Twins have a massive collapse. I don't think that these two teams, especially the Tigers, are capable of going, you know, an eight-game winning streak, a seven-game winning streak, something like that that could actually spur a lot of ground made up in the playoff scenarios, other than the fact that the Twins would have to have a collapse. Like, they'd have to lose eight or nine in a row um, for either of those teams to really have a chance. But at the same time, they are single-digit games back, something that not even the Red Sox can say about in their division, um, something that the Angels can't say in their division. But at the bottom of this division, you have the White Sox and the Royals. The White Sox at 49 and 75. They have been terrible for obvious reasons. The Royals, they got to 40 wins this weekend. Congratulations. They've lost two in a row. They're 3 and 7 in their last 10, and they are 40 and 86 overall in the season. Um, They've clearly asserted that they're better than the A's, and honestly, they've been more interesting to watch recently. I like some of the young prospects they have. They've been shifting guys around at positions because like 99% of their prospects are catchers, which is kind of funny. Um, so Salvador Perez has been playing some first base. MJ Melendez, who's a former top prospect at catcher, is playing right field and has been pretty much all year. Some left field as well. Uh, but the Royals are 
getting better, dare I say. And Bobby Witt is really a superstar. So they have what it takes um, to make enough progress to be contending in this weak division in two or three years, but not anytime soon will the Royals make any difference. And really, for now, it just looks like the Twins are the only ones who are going to play a factor in the postseason. Okay, well, uh, let's talk about a division where there are multiple teams that are playing a factor in the postseason and some major movement in the standings. That's the American League West. Yeah, the best team in this division over the last month is in third place. That's the Seattle Mariners. They are by far better than the Rangers and the Astros recently. Um, It's just... It's just true. I don't know what else to say about it. They have won six in a row. They're seven and three in their last ten. Um, they just swept the Astros, as we talked about. And as a result of that sweep, they are only a half game back of Houston. The Mariners at sixty nine and fifty five. The Astros at seventy and fifty five. And let me say something about the Mariners. We were talking about this earlier before we got on here. Their schedule for the rest of August is terrible. And by terrible, I mean all the teams they play are terrible. They play. The White Sox on the road, and then they go from the White Sox on the road for three games to the Royals at home for three, and the A's at home for three. Mind you, the Mariners earlier this week, they had some close games against the Royals. I will admit, the Royals put up a lot of runs on them, but the Royals won game one on Monday, and since then, the Mariners haven't lost a game. They've won six in a row. They took their other three games in that series um, from the Royals. Julio Rodriguez had 17 hits in a four-game span. This team is on fire right now, and considering the rest of their schedule, it's possible that even though they've already won six in a row, they might end up eight and one in the rest of August. It is very, very possible. And if that's the case, if they're at 77 and 56, I don't know if the Rangers are going to be at 77 and 56 by the end of August. I don't know if in 10 days that's going to be the case. So there's a chance that by the end of August, this team might even be in the lead in the division. And the good news for them is that even after that, They play the Mets. That's a pretty easy series. You know, they do play the Reds and the Rays, but then they have the Angels on their schedule. They have a tough series against the Dodgers, but who knows how wrapped up that division might be at that time. The Dodgers might be already moving on to kind of resting players, kind of putting some guys in unfamiliar positions on purpose. They have series against those teams that are ahead of them. They have three against the Rangers and then three against the Astros and then three against the Rangers to close out the season. And before that, they have three against the A's. So if they can get through the Dodgers series two, three games back in the division, do not count the the Mariners out of winning this division because the fact of the matter is they're controlling their destiny six games against the Rangers, three against the Astros at the end of the season. We just saw them sweep the Astros. Um, they're clearly capable of hanging with those teams. They played them tough in the postseason series last year. They took three or four from them in the beginning of July. Uh, they haven't played the Rangers in a very, very long time, though. They haven't played the Rangers since June. Uh, literally the first series of June, they got swept by the Rangers, and since then they haven't played, which is very interesting that they now close the, the, the season Excuse me, with two series against the Rangers um, with that Astros series in between. But look, the Mariners end, end the month maybe a game, two games back, which is very possible because they're only three back right now, and they have probably one of the easiest schedules in the rest of August, if not the easiest. They could easily, easily win this division, and honestly, they go 8-1 and one in this stretch. They might be ahead of the Rangers or the Astros or both, they might win this division by multiple games, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's not even a race by the end of the season if, you know, the Rangers are kind of falling off like they have been recently, dropping games here and there to the Brewers, dropping a few games to the A's, you know, that kind of a thing. Um, they could easily take this division, but for now, it's the Rangers in first, despite getting swept by the Brewers over the weekend and losing the last game of their series against the Angels. They have still uh, gone 4-6 and six in their last 10, which isn't bad considering they're 0-4 in their last four games. Um, but overall, 
this team has been falling off a little bit, not playing as well as they have all season. And then the Astros, I kind of talked about them a lot in, in terms of where they are relative to the Mariners, so I won't talk too much about them. But obviously, still a strong contender, still playing really well. Uh, Yiner Diaz, since I, I forget what point it was, but I saw it somewhere um, on Twitter that Yiner, Yiner Diaz, since I think mid-July, has the, actually the highest WRC plus of any catcher with 200 plate appearances. That is something that the Astros can bank on that they haven't been able to bank on in, in the past because Martin Maldonado has been terrible at the plate. Um, and Yiner Diaz, not a bad not a bad defensive catcher himself. He's okay. Um, so they can actually bank on that in the postseason and have more offense from that position than they have in the past, which arguably has been their downfall in the past, and they still won the World Series um, last year. So it's easily possible that this Astros team is just as strong as the last one. They literally brought back Justin Verlander after, in the offseason, they went cheap on him, low-balled his offer, and then, you know, I don't think it was part of their plan to say, let him go to another team, have his contract, have that team's, you know, year blow up and we'll trade back for him. But they are very happy to have him back. Um, and as long as Fran Valdez can get back to his form permanently, which he didn't because the Mariners, after his no-hitter, shelled him to the point where he gave up a home run and actually intentionally hit the next batter in the game and almost started a brawl. Um, if he can get back to his normal and they have Verlander at his normal... This is a really tough team to face. The problem is, I keep saying this thing about if for Fromber, for Christian Javier, um, for health when it comes to Jose Arquiti and a few of the other pitchers, they haven't gotten there all year though. And that's starting to get a little bit worrying because if they haven't gotten there now, when are they going to get there? We've already seen some pitchers, as we'll talk about later, who have reclaimed their forms and those are just not among them. Speaking of teams who don't have pitchers who have reclaimed their forms, the Angels, they're terrible. They're 61 and 64. They're not terrible, but they're Yankees level bad, um, which... Considering the Yankees only made one move at the trade deadline and the Angels made about a billion and probably had more moves than half the rest of the league combined, this is really bad what happened to the Angels. Um, I gotta say, I don't know how you... What is the pitch... You know what? I'm gonna ask you. What is the pitch to Shohei Otani to stay around after they sold everything they could to get... Or sorry. Well, yeah. Sold the farm, basically, to get prospects at the last two deadlines... And they've been one of the worst teams in the league and now have near zero playoff odds. What's the pitch to keep Otani? What, what are you going to try to tell him, a player who very much so wants to win and frankly has a team that is in a quote-unquote down year that's on pace for 99 wins while they are cascading and just falling. They're losing every game. Not every game. That's a little bit of an overreaction. But they're not close in the playoffs. They're not going to make the playoffs. What do you say to keep him? What's going to keep him away from either staying in L.A. but going to the team in blue, or going across the world and going to uh, get that Steve Cohen money? I was going to say, more money, ownership of the team, uh, <laughs> let him manage the team, let him be general manager, let him handpick the roster. Oh, the old player manager. That would be yeah, an interesting, that'd be an interesting I, I, prospect. I is, unless he really loves it there. Which... Sometimes it doesn't cost as much money to keep somebody as it does to lure them away. I don't know. I don't know. I think the one thing, you know, the one thing that I will say is that, you know, normally the returning team is the favorite to, to keep the player. But I got to say in this situation, he really, Shohei really seems like a player who's definitely committed to winning. If you've heard of any of his press conferences that they've, you know, talked him in for a while. And that is something that the Angels have not done with him at all, which is, if that's his main focus, without winning with Otani... How are you going to convince him to come back when you haven't done it with him now? What are you going to do in the future is kind of my thing there. I don't know what's going to happen there. And speaking of not winning a lot, 34-90, the Oakland A's. They are at a 274 winning percentage. As bad as the A's are, the Braves are good. 
and also 100 winning percentage points on top of that, which just goes to show you how bad the A's have been this year because people are talking about the Braves' offense like it's the 1927 Yankees, and yet the Braves have not won nearly as much as the A's have lost, which it's definitely easier to lose a bunch of games than it is to win a bunch of games, but well, the A's got, have majored in that. You just did our transition. Let's talk about the Braves and in the National League East. Well, the Braves don't have a 38-game lead on any team in their division, unlike the Rangers, who have a 38-game lead on the A's, although it's funny because the Braves would be up almost 50 games on the A's if they were in the same division um, because they're that bad and the Braves are that good. But the Braves became the first team to 80 wins uh, this weekend. They are 8-2 and two in their last 10. Just when people started to talk about them fade, myself included, I will not lie, um, they rattled off six wins in a row. Uh, or five wins in a row, excuse me. They beat the Yankees. They swept the Yankees. They swept the Yankees. They won eleven to three, five to nothing, two to nothing, four to nothing over the Giants in their first game. I talked about this weekend series with the Giants, but look, th- th- the craziest thing about this: the Braves won eleven to three on Monday. They didn't allow a run from Monday to Saturday. The- it's not just the hitting at this point. The pitching staff has been great as well when they don't have. No offense, but they don't have Yanni Chirinos on the mound. They don't have, I mean, Alan Winans is actually pretty good in his start as well. But the Braves, when they have their aces on, when they have Freed, when they have Strider, um, they are, I mean, Charlie Morton even is in that conversation. They are just really good. Bryce Elder as well. They are, they've been so good when those guys have been on the mound. It's going to be really hard to beat that team when they can throw at you Morton, Strider, Elder, and Freed in a series. They are very confident in four different starters, something that is, Maybe unique to only them. Maybe a few other teams feel that way. Probably the Rangers feel that way, but I don't think I agree with them feeling that way. But the Braves, I do agree with that feeling. And look, how often have you seen a team go three straight? I mean, seriously, have you ever seen a team go three straight games without allowing a single run to any of their opponents? doesn't matter if it's the Yankees and the Giants. I mean, it's just insane what they've been doing. Um, And then you have the Phillies. They're 13 and a half back in the division, but... Honestly, at this point, we're going to talk about whatever the National League wildcard is, and I should say I forgot to mention that Seattle is now in the third place in the wildcard in the AL, a half game above Toronto. That's that mystery team. Um, but the Phillies, they are now at the top of the National League wildcard. It really looks like in both leagues there's one team at the top that is secure in their spot, and everything under that one team is pretty much up in the air, or maybe not as much up in the air. I think Houston's pretty solid in terms of keeping that spot, but it'll be a close race still. Um, the Phillies, on the other hand, they are two and a half up on the Giants, who are still clear of the Cubs for third place by a half a game. So in total, the Phillies are three games up on the final spot. Or no, excuse me, they are two and a half games up on Chicago um, as well. But they are three and a half games up on Cincinnati, Miami, and Arizona, who are all tied for the fourth wildcard spot. We will get to all that stuff in a second. Um, but the Phillies, five and five in their last ten. Haven't been playing their best baseball, and yet everybody else in the wildcard race, other than the Cubs, I'm not even going to say they haven't been playing their best. They've all been playing really badly. Like, they've been playing poor relative to how they've been over the course of the year for most teams. So the Phillies, despite being just okay, just average in their last 10 games, they are still two games up on the Giants for that first wildcard spot. Um, And it looks like they'll be secure in that spot because they also have the most experience out of any of the teams contending for that playoff spot. They by far are the most experienced actually in the playoffs and both and also in divisional tight divisional races and tight wild card races. Then you have the Marlins. They put up 11 on the Dodgers um, in one game of the series, and then Tony Gonson went on the IL. 
And then the Marlins only scored via solo homers for the last two games of that series. They were both on the same day, lost both games of that doubleheader 3-1. to one. 64 and 61 on the season, 17 back in the division. They are also 5 and 5 in their last 10. Um, although they are only one game back in the wild card of Chicago, who's currently in third. But I don't know. I don't know how well the Marlins um, can stay in this race. I will say that Jake Berger and Josh Bell, the JB brothers from the trade deadline, they have been really, really good for the Marlins, and that is something that they can kind of, you know, rally around. Um, Yuri Perez has come back up. He was amazing against the Dodgers. He got unlucky that his bullpen blew um, that game. David Robertson specifically blew that game for him, gave up three runs in the eighth after the Dodgers had been shut out in that game uh, with only two hits and I believe 10 or 11 strikeouts, which was a career high for him. But beyond that, beyond those guys that have been better in their lineup and Jorge Soler as well, who's been better, Arise has been fading, honestly, with his batting average. I think he's hitting under 300 um, in in August in total, which is not good considering where he's been on the season. He obviously still has a very high batting average overall, but 357 over the course of the year, but in August, only 230, and he does not slug much, so that's not going to work at the top of your lineup. Not saying they should put him down in the lineup at all. That's not a good idea, Um, but he's going to have to pick it up at the end of the season. A lot of guys in their pitching staff, especially the bullpen, probably need to pick it up a little bit more because their offense has been getting better, they, they're still not great on offense. This team just doesn't really have much to love about it other than the energy and some of the individual players and the sluggers that they have, um, that they've added, honestly, not that they had originally. But I just I don't see this team as a playoff team, and I, I still think that my preseason projection on them is probably going to be more accurate than people's midseason projection on them. I still like a lot of the other teams in the race and their rosters better than the Marlins, but after all, they are still only one back, so they do have a chance. Then at the bottom, you have the Mets. Um, funny enough, outside of the Braves, the best two records in the last 10 are both the Mets and the Nationals. Mets are 6-4 and four in their last 10. The Nationals are 7-3. and three. Um, If you want to talk about wildcard, it's kind of funny because the Mets and the Nationals at 7-8 and eight games back are actually closer to a playoff spot than the Angels, the Yankees, or the Guardians in the AL, and obviously you could go down the rest of the standings as well, but these teams are actually not that far out of it. It's actually crazy, and, you know, it's kind of been a running joke that, you know, the Mets, well, maybe people don't know this, but after the Mets get through the Braves and the Rangers at the end of this month, and then the, and, and sorry, the Braves, the Angels, and the Rangers at the end of this month, their September is pretty much only NL playoff teams, and there is a chance that if they play well, they might somehow mess around and make the playoffs with this roster, because... They play the Diamondbacks for four, the Reds for three, the Marlins for three, the Phillies for four, the Marlins for three, and the Phillies for two. They only play wildcard contenders from September 12th, sorry, September 11th to the end of the season. That's it. So they have a chance. The problem is before that, they're seven games back now, but I don't see how they stay seven games back when they're when six of their next nine are against the Braves and the Rangers, and then there are series to open in September is are, are the Mariners, who are playing ridiculously right now. I don't see how they stay afloat, but if they are able to stay afloat, they actually do control their own destiny when it comes to the playoffs. They somehow end that streak five, six games out. They can win their way into the playoffs. It's not going to happen, but it would be really funny if it did after all the stuff that happened at the trade deadline. And um, also be really interesting if they lucked their way into the playoffs and then said, huh, it'd be nice to have Scherzer and Verlander on the mound right about now, wouldn't it be? Yeah, and having them would make that likelihood even even more uh, even, even more likely, but it's not going to happen. So 
Uh, still a fun theory to throw out there. It's a fun theory. And, and also, even if they don't make it, they're still going to have a pretty big yeah, say in who does make it in the National League. Teams rooting for them. Uh, Diamondbacks, Padres, folks who want to get in the wild card or get back in the contention will be hoping the Mets get hot. All right, let's move over to the NL Central. Well, the Brewers are in first at 68-57. and 57. A much-needed sweep this weekend to give themselves some separation. They finally brought their run differential to positive, which is crazy that it wasn't at this point because they've been a division leader. Um, they needed that sweep, especially after them getting swept by the Dodgers. But you take out that Dodgers series, they've won seven in a row, which, I mean, the way the Dodgers were playing, you can honestly not count that series because, what, the Dodgers are like 17-2 and two in August or something like that at this point, something ridiculous. Um, so can't really blame the Brewers for losing that one. In the rest of this division, it's all wildcard contenders. Um, sorry, well, it's two wildcard contenders. But you have the Cubs. They have finally made it into the third spot. Um, a lot of fans were mad that they choked the game. Not really choked, but lost the game against the Royals on Friday. As in, you know, how is a playoff team? Can you lose a game to the White Sox earlier in the week? Then lose a game to the Royals right after it. The easy part of the schedule. Five really easy games and you go three and two. It's not that great. And really, it was a doomsday kind of thing because they were actually 1-2 and two in that stretch. So they needed to win out in the series to go 3-2 and two in that stretch, which still isn't great considering competition. Um, but the Cubs did do that. They did win on Saturday. They did win on Sunday, which means that they are 64-59, and 59, and they are one game ahead of a big log jam in the wild card, which includes the Cincinnati Reds, who are 64-61. and 61. They're tied with the Marlins, tied with Arizona, um, although the Reds, they've also been fading recently. Jonathan India has been hurt. Uh, they've called up Noel V. Marte. That'll be interesting to see. They've now called up all of their infield prospects, Marte, Encarnacion, Strand, Steer, McLean, um, De La Cruz, obviously. They've called up everybody this season. We'll just have to see how it turns out. It's kind of fun. They had to move Spencer Steer to the outfield despite him being a first baseman and a third baseman in the past uh, and those being his main positions. They had to move him out there. Uh, Matt McLean might have to move around. Someone will have to DH out of that group because... You can't have McLean, India, and De La Cruz all in the infield if you also have um, Melvi Marte playing third. So they have to move some stuff around. they got to figure it out. Um, but they will. They will get their guys in the lineup. It will just be about who's able to produce down the stretch. And then if the Reds can make the tough call to, I won't say bench, but you know leave guys who have been very exciting, who are maybe even in Rookie of the Year races, if you're Spencer Steer or Matt McLean, if they're not playing well at the end of the season, are they going to continue to try to take the developmental approach and keep those guys in? Or are they going to take the approach that they have a chance to make the wild card and really push for it? It's going to be an interesting thing to watch um, at the end of the season there. But their playoff odds only at 25% right now. The Cubs at actually 54, which despite being only a one-game difference, you really do favor the Cubs in that overall roster. Justin Steele has been great. Probably the lead, should be the leader for Cy Young um, in the NL. So... A lot of great stuff going on with Chicago's roster. Cody Bellinger playing like an MVP also is uh, up there with one of the great things happening with them. Um, and small moves like Jamer Candelario at the deadline have pro- have proved to be very, very good for the Cubs. So the Reds, unfortunately, not making that many moves, not able to strengthen the team that much. And as a result, they are four back in the division, one back in the wild card. In the rest of this division, you have the Pirates. They're four and six in their last 10, 12 and a half back. And you have the Cardinals, who are 13 back, five and five in their last 10. Uh, the Pirates, 55 and 69 overall. The Cardinals at 55 and 70. All right, let's move over to the National League West. Well, I talked about the fact that the Dodgers have been playing out of their minds for a while now, uh, especially in August. 76 and 47, they're only four games back of the Braves for the best record in baseball, which is... Crazy. They're only a half game back of the Orioles for the second best record um, in MLB. They're currently third. 
that's really crazy to say after, you know, this is supposed to be a rebuild year for the Dodgers, whatever you want to call it. Um, just not a year where they were supposed to compete as well as they have. Um, but 9-1 their last 10 had, what, 11-game or a 12-game winning streak earlier that got snapped by a brutal loss uh, to the Marlins. They are losing Tony Gonsolin for the season. He just suffered an injury that Dave Roberts thinks means he won't pitch again. But the thing is, look, you never want to wish injury upon anybody, and I'm not doing that at all. But that could be a good thing for the Dodgers because Gonsolin has not been great this year. Um, he's had an average year. He's had his great starts. He's had a lot of blow-up starts this year. The fact of the matter is he's been really consi- He's pitched 20 starts. That's the most on the team. And he's pitched above five innings per start, which considering his his kind of issues with putting guys away and not really having the best strikeout stuff, that's actually pretty good for him. That's a pretty good season. The problem is that 4980 ERA that was inflated a lot by giving up 10 uh, to the Marlins. But look, the Dodgers, they've gotten their guys back. They've gotten guys in trades. They have Lance Lynn. Uh, Kershaw is back from the IL. Urias has been back to his normal self. Bobby Miller has been a lot better recently than he was um, in kind of the middle of his rookie season. And then, you know, you have Lance Lynn from the trade. You have um, Ryan Yarbrough, who's able to make starts if the Dodgers need it. And even some of the prospects they've had in AAA have been showing up more. Gavin Stone has looked better recently after getting stoned in the first few starts that he had in the majors earlier this year. Um, Michael Grove has been in the majors a lot, and he's injured. So, I mean, he's probably not going to come back up, but he he's he's maybe able to come back late season. I guess it's possible. Emmett Sheehan has actually been really good since the Dodgers moved into kind of a long relief pitcher in AAA, and we'll see that would definitely be his role if he came back up in the majors because he will not be in the postseason rotation. But could he fill a role like 2020 Julio Arias to the Dodgers bullpen looking for some extra length? Absolutely, I could see that happening. Um, So it'd be interesting what what happens with the Dodgers uh, at the end of the season. But I have to say right now, Arias is pitching like an ace. Kershaw has always been an ace, and now he's healthy in the Dodgers are being very, very careful with him. Bobby Miller has started to pitch, I won't say like an ace yet, but like the prospect he was billed to be, his last three starts, he has a combined two earned runs. Um, So that's pretty good when you're facing Milwaukee, Arizona, and San Diego. Two, well, one borderline playoff team, one team that should have been a playoff team but has had a terrible season, and then one division leader. Um, He's been really good recently. Lance Lynn has like a 1.5 or 1.80 ERA since joining the Dodgers, so... They have found their pitching staff from maybe being at the bottom of the league, being carried by the hitting, and all of a sudden their pitching staff is now pitching with the best of them. Something really interesting to watch um, at the end of the year, because the fact of the matter is, this division race is not something interesting to watch. Every team at 11.5 back or farther, the Giants at 11.5 back, of course, at 65 and 59, they are 3-7 and seven in their last 10, although they still hold that second wildcard spot, just a half game ahead of Chicago, and a one and a half game uh, differential over the mess that includes Cincinnati, Miami, and the last team in this division that is worth talking about for a while, the Diamondbacks. They are 64 and 61 on the season. They've won seven of their last nine. Most importantly, six of those games have been against the team that's right behind them, the Padres. And the Padres now uh, headed, went into those games just a few games back of the Diamondbacks, but instead... The team with no playoff experience comes out on top, 7-3 and three in their last 10. The Padres, 4-6 and six in their last 10. Lost both ends of the doubleheader yesterday against the Diamondbacks, even with Yu Darvish on the mound in one of those games, uh, against a bullpen game for the Diamondbacks. 
It's not going well for the Padres, uh, despite the fact that their run differential is way better than the Diamondbacks and better than the Giants. Um, they are not going to make the playoffs. They're six games back, although they at least have the dream scenario, like the Mets do, of controlling their own destiny by playing a lot of the games in the division with the um, Giants and with the Diamondbacks. The problem for them, though, is that uh, they also have a lot of games against the Dodgers, and that is not something you want to see. At the- Actually, they only have one series left, but look, Giants, Phillies, Astros, Dodgers is not a great opening to September when you're already six games back, and that's what they have. Uh, I don't see them taking a series from the Marlins in their current form. I don't see them taking the series from the Brewers, which are their next two series. They will take the series from the Cardinals, and that's about all I can say about their season, honestly. That's really all I can give them. And frankly, you look at the standings. I said they can take the series from the Cardinals. They're only four games out of the Cardinals, so they're not that much better than them. Um, The Cardinals have been playing better than the Padres, arguably, recently. And uh, maybe have a better one-two punch with uh, Arenado and Goldschmidt than the Padres' one-two of Tatis and Machado, who have been honestly relatively disappointing this season. Um, but then at the bottom of the division, when has it not been the Rockies? They're 48-76. and 76. I don't remember the last time they weren't in last. Two years. I remember at the beginning of last year, they had some really good pitching. All their pitchers were under like a 3-5 or a 4 ERA, and it was like... They were doing this in cores, but it was 20 games in the season, and they were like 13-7, and seven, and they were actually in first, but then... Um, they, uh, yeah, let's just say they regressed to the mean collectively as a pitching staff. And then the rest is history. They ended last again. And now we're back here talking about them 28 and a half games back of the Dodgers. And, uh, not really a factor in the wild card as always the only team in the national league under a 440 winning percentage, which actually shows pretty good along the, among, about the national league's depth, but they're at 387. So they are far below the rest, although they're still far above the Royals and the A's. Yeah, uh, Padres and Yankees thought they'd be fighting out for a playoff berth. And, and for a World Series berth at some series, point. World Series bid, and now the two of them are fighting to uh, not be the most disappointing team in Major League Baseball this year. So, uh, sorry, Padres and Yankees fans. Um, now throw the Mets in that conversation, too. Yeah, that's true. At least the Mets were smart enough to sell. And the Cardinals! At least the Mets were smart enough to sell before the trade line. And trade so did the line. Cardinals, that's yeah. true. So, uh, yeah. these other teams were, were, like you said, a little fool's gold. All right, that wraps our look at Major League Baseball. It also wraps this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Monday, August 28th, where we will once again look back at Patrick's weekend predictions and once again have our weekly review of Major League Baseball action. But we will have our first look at the 2023 college football season with a look back at Week 0 NCAA football action. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his Major League Baseball power rankings that are updated every Wednesday his picks for next weekend's games uh, and series that will be posted as always on Thursday and his predictions for the entire college football season. All that content is on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number four, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.